0: Rouge, je t'aime, red, I love you, draped in threaded pomegranate, dyed by my archetype, paired with that which seems it ripe, needled like unshaded spruce, white like goose, reddish-orange of earth's dotted eyes, lips and ears on frigid days, all as natural as clays, as me, as me, wow, so me, yippee.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to Soul Scene. Erin, I thought we were about to get the first ever French poem.
0: Yeah, we were talking about doing a French episode, but I feel like even that is, even the poem is a little bit, mm. the bridge too far currently.
1: Yeah, I think so. But this is the third episode in our fashion semester on the Soul Scene podcast where we talk about a beautiful, sustainable, tactile feature. And this semester we're talking about how fashion will play into creating, maintaining, Ushering in a beautiful future that is good for the planet and people. And today we're going to be answering questions about self-esteem, identity, and color. And of course, the long-awaited "Why not wear like white after Labor Day?" That'll be about a one-minute. Labor Day is
0: tomorrow, as of time of recording.
1: Yeah, it'll come out on Labor Day. day. Oh my god, that's what we should
0: call the episode. Maybe we should, even though you had the funny idea of the pun.
1: Yeah, I wanted to call the episode something like
0: "Is Individuality Dying?" Yeah, even though that's that's a little bit clickbaity because the episode isn't about is individuality dying, but it's kind of like is individuality equal to dying one's clothes? Yeah, <laughs> really, really clever there. Thank I've you. I've used that pun twice in poems so far for Silasine, but I'm going to say it was clever by you anyway, even though you're just copying me.
1: Thanks. So tell me about the poem.
0: This is a bit of a love letter to Red. I wrote it late at night. I didn't reread it until just now when I was reading it out loud, <laughs> okay. and it's a lot worse and more nonsensical than I thought, so I won't go into much of an explanation there. Red, my favorite color, historically my favorite color to wear, and that leads us into an early example of this week's Garment of the Week. That's the jingle that I just came up with.
1: I don't hate it, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, every episode on Solo Scene for the fashion semester, we're doing a garment of the week. And do you want to guess what today's is that I've chose?
1: I'm going to take a wild guess and say Sweet Red.
0: Sweet Red is correct. <laughs> Unfortunately, this week, I don't have it to show you. You know what it looks like. I'll put an image on the screen for those watching on YouTube, So Scene podcasts on YouTube. So Sweet Red, the name of this sweater, fleece, jumper, depending on which size of the pond you live on, was stolen from my my old roommate's nickname for his futon. It wasn't even a nickname. It was just how he described it once he said, I also have a sweet red futon. Yeah. And so afterwards, we just called it Sweet Red. And then it just pivoted into, I got a red jumper and we called that also Sweet Red.
1: Mm-hmm. Maybe
0: I'll let you describe it a little bit for the audience.
1: Yeah, so it's an LL Bean jumper with three buttons. So like, it's <laughs> it's not a quarter zip, it's a quarter button. Yeah. button and it had blue trim on the it's inside. So detailed. That- <laughs> Navy trim. <laughs> yeah, it had blue trim, plastic buttons, a pouch pocket yeah, in the front. And it was like a 3XL or yeah, something. Yeah, that that
0: was the defining trait. Yeah. It was absolutely massive. Yeah. It was massive. And I'm a, a Marge.
1: And it also came from an infamous thrift store in my hometown.
0: Yeah, it was just in like this weird warehouse. Yeah. And the floor was uneven
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it was dark. And the clothes there were also, were always interesting
1: they were and it cost like three dollars
0: correct so sweet red basically not to bore the people anymore (laughs) it was just this giant jumper that i used to have and wear all the time i wore it so much it developed a kind of scent Mm -hmm. let's just leave that that might be a little bit tmi but it was kind of (laughs) your prototypical like cozy garment i think most people have a hoodie or sweatpants it's like you wear this when you're in goblin mode shout out see i'm up to date with the slang and you're just like Showing at home, Netflixing during exam season, maybe if you're a student. Mm. The difference is I wore it all the time. Yeah. I wore it every day. It was almost like a kid, when you hear those stories about like, oh, he was a turtle for Halloween, but he he wore it every day. Yeah. That was like me with, with Sweet Red.
1: Well, it was just so versatile. You could wear it in the rain, snow. <laughs> shouldn't. Sun. But I did. Yeah. And if I was ever lucky when I was sick, you'd let me wear it because I could tuck my knees into it. Right. And just be... It was that big. But here's what I want to talk
0: about with with Sweet Red, because today we're talking about identity, right? Mm -hmm. This garment, it almost became like, you know, Venom in Spider-Man, yeah, the symbiote, and he gets the black suit,
2: Mm -hmm. and
0: it like changes him a little bit, but also he kind of morphs into it. It was like, as I grew to to honor this and to fill it, it shrunk to fit me a little bit.
1: Mm. It stopped looking so big.
0: It stopped looking so big. Yeah, I mean, this might just be a factor of someone growing, but also, <laughs> <laughs> I just think there was something, yeah, there was something symbiotic with this. And I mean, you used to have a jumper like this as well in a similar epoch in in university. We called it the root sweater.
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: just for some reason wore every single day this grey thing. Yeah, everyone goes through these phases. I think so. So it's kind of pertinent to the question of what I have written down: putting the cut before the horse. So I guess it's about. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Do, do your clothes shape you or do you shape your clothes? Mm. Or in the poem I said, as me, as me, wow, so me, yippee. Because I feel like when you see clothes sometimes in a store, you know, the cliche saying is like, oh, it's so me or it's so you. But it's like, does that mean this garment reflects who I am? Or does it mean this garment can tell me something about myself or can shape me? Or is there even a functional difference between those two things? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's kind of my, my kicking off this question today.
1: I think it's a good place to start. I was so fascinated the first time I learned about the fact that ready-made garments is a new industry hmm. that for a lot of, well, a lot of modern history, I'll say like post-industrial revolution even, clothes were made to order or like you would buy the patterns and the fabric or at a fashion show, even now when you go, it's not like there's a hundred of these dresses that you see on the runway backstage ready to be worn. Like ready wear is a an industry in itself and that has brought with it a kind of weird lack of identity, I think. Okay. Because before this was so common... You would Your clothes would be made for your body, but now there's a kind of stock six sizes, you could say, like extra small to 2XL. Yeah,
0: even with sizing, Mm -hmm. that's true.
1: And so like you put it on and like sometimes it'll feel right. Like have you ever had that experience when you put something on? I often find it's more when it's vintage than when it's new and it just like fits perfectly and it feels like it was made for your body. And I feel like that experience is similar to what you're saying with, like, the, whoa, it's so me. It's, like, sometimes clothes just, like, literally feel, like, the tactile experience of wearing them, like, for you. And I feel like it's probably me being hyper-spiritual and, like, (laughs) about, about items. But I just think sometimes things really feel that way. And then when you put them on, it brings you back to that first moment of like, whoa, this feels so nice, this fits so well, I feel like myself in this. And a lot of clothes that I wear on a day-to-day basis, I put on, and I don't really feel like myself in it, there's probably like 20% of my wardrobe, and I feel like a lot of people have this experience.
0: Because of the fit.
1: The fit is like kind of the the root.
0: Yeah, I didn't even think about that, the fact that it's actually a really good kind of analogy that... We've gone from people knowing their measurements Mm -hmm. to just fitting in one of the buckets of small, medium, large, or in my case, marge, Mm -hmm. or sometimes medium for some people.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, it's like you used to know, oh, I'm a, I don't, I actually don't know any numbers like across or what they represent. You took a measurement for me today. What was that about? Don't worry about it. Okay.
1: Surprise, but it was 33, (laughs) if you were wondering. So I think step one in avoiding over-shopping and over-filling your closet to a point where it's kind of exhausting to get dressed in the morning is finding the, the measurements or the styles of clothes that you like the best. So maybe you like an oversized jumper or you like a skinny jean and then just building off of that. But that's just, that's very mundane and practical. But the rest of my notes on this are a bit less. So. so the first question we asked and how I phrased it was, how do the clothes we wear impact our identity and self-esteem? And the first thing that came to my mind was a story that I heard someone say on a podcast once, and I'm sure it's been repeated many times over throughout the globe. And it was a Sikh man who was telling a story of when he was a kid, he went to the grocery store and like tried to steal a candy bar. And his mom like caught him and was just like, I'll buy it, whatever. And then later on in his life, in his day, he went to his mom to apologize and thought she'd like yell at him and be like, don't steal, you know, like the normal reprimand that you'd get for that. But his mom apparently went on this really somber explanation of like why Sikh people wear turbans and that it is a, a promise to live up to. And in the early days of the Sikh tradition, people didn't always, like, the men didn't always wear turbans. But then one of the early leaders saw a man who was, like, walking by a river and someone was drowning and, like, refused to help. And he said, you'll never be able to do that and, like, hide your identity again. Like, you are going to have to wear this and you will be representing the whole community. And I feel like we don't really have that a lot in most other traditions, but I think it translates to the clothes you wear of like, you're going to wear a Patagonia sweater. So you're expected. And I mean, it's both ways. Like it's you trying to be more outdoorsy, but it also puts out the expectation of say you're on the side of the road and someone breaks down their bike. They're going to look for the most, bikish looking person perhaps Mm. to help them
0: yeah the person wearing spandex
1: yeah exactly so I think the clothes we wear are a promise to ourselves and also a promise to the people around us how do you feel about that
0: well my notes for this episode are rather scattered as my garment of the week kind of showed because it's touching on both identity and color so my answers for the questions were kind of just both at the same time Mm -hmm. but I think it's a good time to introduce my soft crispy dichotomy And Mm. this is basically my two categories in which all clothes fit, soft or crispy. Crispy means formal, soft means informal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the words mean something because I used to be very, very anti-formal clothing, as you know. And a lot of the reason is because they're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I remember always going on tirades to you and saying, why would people wear uncomfortable clothes? Doesn't make any sense. Suits are really uncomfortable. Ties are really uncomfortable. Dress shirts are uncomfortable. I find them way too hot to wear we should just always wear soft and therefore comfortable clothes. And I still agree with all that. Like, suits are really uncomfortable, and uh, as are ties, as are dress shirts, and they're all much too hot. Dress shoes especially, but let's not get into that today. But I remember you said, because the goal isn't to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, at the time, I thought it was a silly response, but now I think it makes a lot of sense, maybe as I've kind of embraced my um, masochism a little bit more, in that sometimes... (laughs) you should dress to be as uncomfortable as possible. And the reason for this is a bit of a feedback loop that I guess I'll illustrate with the work from home thing. But I think people know intuitively, like everyone wearing sweatpants during quarantine, right? And students and employees alike, because we're often working from home, or well, it's just like standards kind of dropped. And just to, to again touch on the 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 chicken or egg question, it's kind of the, fe- the case that people's mindsets towards work changed because of their environment Mm. and so they dressed to reflect that but also the dressing reinforced those ideas and that's why i say it's a feedback loop because it's basically the case that the crispier you dress the crispier you act the softer Mm -hmm. you dress the softer you act which is to bring it full circle why i eventually got rid of sweet red Mm -hmm. because i was like i don't like what this represents to me which is kind of vegging Mm -hmm. even though i would do things in it it had a kind of vegetative aura vegetative (laughs) aura
1: yeah (laughs) for sure as i said i think the first episode of like people used to just dress up to run errands yeah and now you'd never think of putting any effort into your effort to go to the store and even going to church it's like people used to dress up obviously but now a lot of like the selling point on like churches websites is come in your blue jeans, the pastor wears sneakers. And it's like, yeah, like come as you are internally. And like, if you don't have a dress shirt, please come.
0: Mm.
1: But But it's not about money. (laughs)
0: It's not about like, oh, you don't have any, you know, designer Italian shirts. You Mm -hmm. know, you're getting scoffed at. What I like about the Sunday best idea is it's kind of universally scalable. Even if you're, Mm -hmm. even if you have nothing, you can comb your hair. Yeah. And, you know, wash your shoes or something like
2: that, mm-hmm. brush them off.
1: Yeah, I remember my dad used to shine his shoes every Sunday morning. Right. And then I'd always want to shine my shoes. But I didn't really have <laughs> shiny sneakers. shoes. Yeah.
0: You're just scrubbing your, <laughs> uh, your sneaks.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was when I was really little. So I really had like little tiny dress shoes. But it was still, I just remember that very fondly. I think another part of this is, it's like you can set it as a promise or set it as like an expectation for yourself of like, I'm going to wear this uncomfortable outfits so that yeah. I'm, I'm on, like I'm yes. in that kind of mode. The another part of it is a way to manipulate your own expectations and manipulate others' expectations of you. And I think this is part of it of like, even if you're working from home, perhaps try and get dressed and ready for the day because it will trick your brain into thinking, yeah, Oh, you, we're going to go
0: through the motions. That's kind of the whole point.
1: Yeah, exactly. And this is another podcast, obviously, I'm listening to, thing that people can do to change how others perceive them. Another religious example is there's this man who, his name is Ram Das, and he was a psychology professor in America, and then he started studying psychedelics and went to India and had this whole like religious trip, basically. But when he moved back to America, he chose to continue dressing as... I mean, he's not a guru, but like to dress in that traditional like beard, white kind of flowy clothes, beads. And he said when you dress like that and you were like walking on the streets of New York, you all of a sudden remove yourself from the sphere, like the dating sphere. You remove yourself from, you set yourself apart, I suppose, in the way you dress. And that was also something we were taught growing up in the church of like dressing modestly or dressing dressing up on Sunday You kind of set yourself apart and like you can use that in a way to promote any desires that you have. So like maybe people want to be perceived as athletic and therefore kind of feel like they have to hold themselves accountable to that. So therefore they wear athletic wear. Or you could say, I'm trying to be live a more modest life, a more humble life. And you can kind of change how you dress accordingly And then the external pressure of people's expectations, which are very greatly shaped by what you wear, I believe, can then be like a good pressure on yourself.
0: I think so far we've mostly just been describing what is, Mm -hmm. instead of in the solo scene, what should be. Yeah. So my kind of two points were about in solo scene, individuality or individualism, as you said, individuality is dying, or is it, is that really what you should focus on in terms of being an individual is how you spend your days, like Mm -hmm. how you spend your times. And then on the topic of clothes, I kind of thought about it as if you were a screenwriter trying to adapt a novel into a film. So trying to adapt words into images. You can kind of think about it like, how can I adapt activities or events into clothes? Hmm. So basically, dress for what you do.
1: I think that's a really big part of the solar scene garment yeah. industry. That's you could what you say. do.
0: That's kind of why I was getting at with the, with the crispy thing. Mm-hmm. Work versus play. And so when people just wear grey, kind of nondescript loose sweatpants all day and you know, there's a time and a place for these things. But I mean like, at work, to work, on the red carpet, these kind of things. Then probably you are Psychologically not giving yourself the, the structure that you want. And also something that we were talking about recently is that actually wearing crispy clothes, which is ironically always called boring with young people, is itself pretty much undoubtedly anti-establishment right now, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, especially in like academic settings.
0: Well, yeah, just I just think everywhere with young people, it's like that is what would make you more unique, more of an individual
2: Mm
0: -hmm. so there's a bit of an irony there maybe but also I was thinking about just like narcissism today where everyone is trying to appear as an individual like really desperately that's what most people are trying to do when it comes to dressing is to to set themselves apart and in the solo scene I don't think we'll have that kind of that universal thing where everybody's trying to always work on their personal branding Mm -hmm. because that's what aesthetics are codified like clothing aesthetics it's basically trying to appear a certain way it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you actually read you know if you dress dark academia for instance so not to get kind of gatekeeping with it but basically i think in the soul scene more of the the emphasis more commonly will be on finding peace not through your appearance
1: one more tool that i thought of in the soul scene of clothes being like serving is as a conversation starter In that it's similar to what you're saying, but it's like, what do I want to converse with people about? What do I want to have an easy segue into? So it's like, I think that's why people wear t-shirts with sayings on them.
0: Yeah, and and band t-shirts.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like It's an easy conversation starter, and I think that will continue as a tool in the solo scene. But perhaps being a bit more cognizant of it because I think right now people just like collect band t-shirts and it's like but you've never listened to ACDC or Nirvana or whatever but, <laughs> but I'm just name saying name five like, of their songs yeah but just be intentional with it like maybe you want to wear a shirt that's made of leaves and someone will be like what's your shirt made out of and then you can be like leaves because I love leaves and nature
2: yeah
1: In the soul clothes will be made out of more cool things than just cotton right but that's for another day
0: two final points on the the self-esteem question, one of them is about clothes in cartoons fiction. Obviously, mm. I had to talk about it because last week we watched Porco Rosso, yes. which is my favorite film. And Porco, for me, is a style icon. For people who don't know, he's just a pig who flies a seaplane. And he wears this cool brown like pilot outfit. And later in the episode, I'll talk a lot about brown. So in fiction, I've talked about on last week, I think, how the outfit defines the character like it is them yeah. and especially the fact that in cartoons they wear the same thing every day because and i think this is kind of a transferable um idea for humans in real life because most of us do the same thing every day and most of us want to mm mm-hmm. we might not do what we want to every day but most of us would want to do very very similar things each day i think most of us like routine, at least four or five days a week. Maybe not every day of the year, but I think for large stretches of time, we want to be doing the same thing. And so I think having clothes like that would maybe make you feel the same way every day, make you feel a little bit more like a sponge while putting on his, like he goes into the closet and there's just hanger after hanger of the square outfit.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's like a big part of sustainable fashion and of, People who are talking about finding your personal style Is finding a uniform And it doesn't have to be literally like Spongebob But for me it's usually just I mean this is very basic But I have probably five pairs of jeans And five white shirts And you just kind of mix and match them And it's easy And you know you'll always feel good in it And it's good to then If you are if you enjoy shopping like I do You can look for different kind of variations On that silhouette Or on those color combinations Yeah. What do you think your uniform is or would be?
0: Oh, that's going to be a question for next week. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can't do that off the cuff. And then my final point about this is about the body, because this is kind of, you know, we've talked a lot about the internal self-esteem, that which comes from the clothes. But there's also a pretty important thing between those, which is your skin, your shape, mm-hmm. your your body. So there's this quote from Rick Owens, who's a famous uh, fashion designer that says, working out is modern couture. No outfit is going to make you look or feel as good as having a fit body buy less clothing, and go to the gym instead. And, I mean, we can talk in another episode about this element of fashion, like the body thing, and I'm not saying this quote as in, like, this is something that I think 100% or, like, I'm endorsing Mm -hmm. it. I just think it illustrates well the relationship between mental and physical well-being or self-esteem. And another example is from the video game The Sims, Right? You control these little sim characters and you have a bunch of different levels that you kind of have to keep healthy for them because your goal is basically to keep them alive and make them thrive. And so it's like the obvious ones, they need food, they need socialization, they need hygiene, so you need to feed them, take them to parties and give them baths. But also they have a bar that is basically about their environment. And if it gets too run down and too ugly, like let's say you haven't cleaned it enough, you don't have a nice picture on the wall, they hate their clothes or whatever, that also goes down just as much as the others. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of where I was concluding this question about whether self-esteem and the chicken and the egg with clothes and your identity is that the framing of the question is probably incorrect because it's more about harmony between those elements.
1: I think so. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think talking about the yeah, the body and makeup and skincare is a good topic for another week because I also realized that this week when preparing for both questions, really, that that's a big part of the fashion industry and also has a huge environmental and social impact.
0: The body keeps the score. What does that mean? I don't know. That's a book that you read. Colors. I had three colors that I've kind of written down with notes on. Okay. Brown, (laughs) Hmm. white, black, already mentioned red. Let's talk about the shade of sweet red. Because it always made me feel like Elmo. Yeah. Like this wasn't a muted red. Oh, this no. This was a, you'll, you You could just see me from miles away. It was then, kind of like yeah. your way of finding me if I got lost in the shopping in Walmart or something. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have to say my name over the, over the PA. You would just look for me. Mm-hmm. That big red thing, usually with his <laughs> orange backpack.
1: Yeah, you're very distinct.
0: But basically, it made me feel a little bit like a Sesame Street character. And also, when we first met, I just had seven red t-shirts.
1: Red shoes, even.
0: Red shoes, yeah. Yeah. I didn't buy my own clothes then.
1: Yeah, but you did have a lot of red t-shirts. I feel like that might be a guy thing. I feel like a lot of guys have a lot of red t-shirts in those those adolescent years.
0: Well, that's actually one of my key points for the color question, is that I think it's the first time in the semester that we're encountering the big difference between men's and women's fashion.
2: It's true. That we kind of haven't
0: mentioned so far, but yeah, color. That's a, it's such a gendered thing. Mm. Recently, I was watching a little bit of the Women's World Cup. And it was kind of like, oh, that's cool. They do different football shirts for the men's and women's team. Mm-hmm. That's weird. France's blue is like a way nicer kind of soft pastel blue rather than the, the navy blue, like from their flag that the men wear. Mm-hmm. And it was like that with a lot of the different countries. So I was like, that's so funny. Yeah. And also the Barbie movie, right? Mm-hmm. I thought that when I, when I went there and saw in the cinema... Just a sea of bright pink. I was like, this is kind of a funny, cool, like cultural thing.
1: Yeah, it is kind of weird. A
0: moment. Cultural reset. I'm so up to date with all the terms. And and another note on this kind of like gendered color thing is I remember I once had this pair of blue, bright blue, like turquoise, let's say, uh, trousers that I really, really didn't like. So I was wearing them one day and there were these two girls who were kind of like, Nice pants, and we were stopping at the stoplight or the traffic light, and I was like, "Thanks," <laughs> but I always think they were mocking me, so that's always on my mind.
1: So, still to this day,
0: yeah, still, still, still burns.
1: Maybe that's why. See the other day we were walking; you had blue pants on. You're like, "I don't." It just there's something off. So maybe it's some kind of like trauma <laughs> that <laughs> with
0: blue pants. Do I have any? Did I say that there's something off?
1: Yeah, you're like there's something off of me wearing these blue pants. Said it makes me <laughs> feel like you're in the hospital.
0: Oh right, yeah, my hospital yeah. pants. Garment of the week for the next week. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think does everybody nickname their clothes like this? There's no. a question for the listeners. You can email us or comment comment on YouTube if you have any like nicknames for clothes in your own closet.
1: Because Cause you cause and I have,
0: have <laughs> like dozens.
1: Camp pants I'm wearing right now. Yeah, camp pants. They just all
0: have. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them are just like descriptors though. It's true. So, like blue shirt. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of them yeah hospital pants.
1: Yeah. Oh my
0: dears. So that's about men's versus women's colors. Obviously there's a lot more to talk about next week, but it's always frustrating to me when I go to the thrift store and the men's, (laughs) it's like, wow, they're really um, going crazy. There's some gray pants in with the brown and very, uh, in with the black and very dark blue. Um, So the other color was brown, which is kind of like my crisp color. If red is like my soft color, brown is my crisp color. And it's hard to find brown clothes, which is very annoying. Mm-hmm. I tried to find a brown suit so that we could get married in it or I could wear that and there wasn't any, Yeah, which is just annoying. But it kind of shows, I guess, the, the box that men's clothes is usually very, very narrow box.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, until the 1800s, the only color we really had, I mean, there was lots of colors, but the, the biggest variation was brown. So I feel like in the last 150 years, now that we have actual colors, yeah. um, the men's fashion industry is probably like anything but brown.
0: That's what I find annoying, though. Yeah, Because it isn't. It's no. just black and gray. It's not even anything but, but brown. Brown, let me just describe brown a little bit. Brown clothes, it makes you feel like a tree or like a professor mm-hmm. or like an archaeologist or something like that. And white, that's another color. I think, I mean, this is kind of a hard section to talk about in solo scene terms in terms of people will wear this color because it's like people have different preferences and stuff and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different people. But one thing I can say with some certainty is that in the solo scene, instead of white being the norm, oh, your basic white t-shirt, go to H&M, just pick up white t-shirts. They've got a bunch of different types. The natural color will be the norm.
1: Oh my goodness. So
0: shocking to me that it isn't. Remember I said to you last week, this is probably not a good sign because I'm on a, essentially on a fashion, podcast for these next few months to give some level of expertise Mm -hmm. when i was like oh denim is that just naturally dark blue
1: (laughs) that did send me on a tangent i have two pages of notes on indigo but (laughs) but yeah i mean like we don't know what colors things are people just assume cotton's white
0: but it's shocking to me and here's here's kind of my point it's much harder and more expensive to find an undyed t-shirt i know Which is why I was always, wait, so that everything white is just bleached like that. Mm -hmm. None of it, that's the natural color. And that's pretty much true. That is true. The natural color is more of, it's a nicer, in my opinion, nicer, more kind of brownish off-white, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's more universally complementary to skin tones and it just is, it's not going to get stained as easily because it's like if you get a little bit of coffee on it, it'll just kind of blend in. But if you get coffee on your white t-shirt,
2: yeah.
0: Well, I think, I I like white clothes as well. It's probably one of my favorite colors of clothes. Mm -hmm. But I just think it's, frankly bizarre that that is just nowhere to be found like even in your cheap stores like you go to walmart for a t-shirt or something there's no undyed stuff Mm -hmm. it's weird it is weird and then black
1: (whistles) do you like black
0: um no i don't like black clothes but i'm squeezed into it because i'm a man that's Mm -hmm. the thing um i don't mean by social pressures i mean by literally the clothes you can find and buy um my only note on this is that not all black clothes are equal. It's true. Right? There's bluish blacks, brownish blacks, greenish blacks. And so I think in the solo scene, if we had more of an attuned eye towards those kind of things, mm. because I think, like, something I also have written down is looking like a jigsaw puzzle. Do you want to describe what that means?
2: <laughs> Where it's, that
0: famous quote came from?
1: I mean, you really like monochrome outfits.
0: Yeah, I think it looks cool. And
1: it also has to be monotone in that. I mean, I've heard... <laughs> very suitful suitful people being like, don't wear never wear black together because it's really hard to discern the blues and the yes, green undertones. Exactly. And I agree with that. The other day I because our apartment's kind of dark Kinda. where our wardrobe is, um, and I put on an outfit that I went outside and I was mortified because my, my blazer was very blue compared to my pants. But anyway, it's looking like a jigsaw puzzle is looking like the clothes come from all over the place. Like not necessarily just brands, but also just textures and everything like that right colors more colors, than anything crucially yeah
0: so I think it's cool when people wear all one color
1: mm-hmm. that's
0: what I'm saying but that's a personal preference obviously yeah but it's hard to do it black. but if you kind of like in modern art you know when you stare at the all black painting and you can start to see the variation in the hues and the lighting and the you know the, even the application of paint in different areas mm-hmm. I think that would be a, a nice kind of attention to detail to, to foster in the scene.
1: Yeah I think so. I'm also always so impressed with like maximalist dressers who wear who look like a jigsaw but you look at them you're like yeah that's an outfit because they have uh, an eye tuned for complementary colors shades and cuts and everything and I think people who in the solo scene are into fashion the way that I am today will be more it'll be more of an art than a shopping like it'll be more about the
0: the composition.
1: Yeah. Then the buying and accruing the of more of clothes. Yeah.
0: Maybe a question for next week also could be our style icons.
1: Ooh. Or like I think the solo really scene.
0: Fun. Like the solo scene rushmore or something like that. I like that. Of the the principles you can draw from them. So my other points on colour is about colour theory, because as a writer, this is always kind of jammed down your throat about red should mean this, white should mean this. Well in ancient China, pink means this. And I think there's a time and place for that, but I also often think i'm all for symbolism and metaphor but it's a little bit redundant when most of your readership won't know what those things mean it's true so sometimes you'll note that um art will kind of create its own color theory like in a way that's the great gatsby right like that's a really Mm -hmm. obvious example with yellow you wrote an essay on that one probably i think you did
1: yeah Um, (laughs)
0: But the ways that that book uses yellow isn't like something you'll find on the internet. As in, yellow means this. It kind of defines it within its own uh, lexicon. Mm-hmm. Or even like the David Lynch movie Lost Highway has that kind of yellowish orange glow, right? Mm-hmm. That he uses throughout the movie. To it quite often that they use throughout the movie uh, to represent certain things, and so I think to bring it back to clothes, we, meaning society have kind of come up with our own color theory in a fun way that doesn't match what you'll find on a website about mythology and symbolism from different cultures. Mm-hmm. But it's just like a modern thing. So in the solo scene, maybe we can kind of play with that a bit. I don't know. And I also think the topic of trending colors kind of goes along with this. Is just such a weird thing where it's like one year, this color is cool, and then the next year... Actually, this one's eco, should I say, and that one's really lame or chuggy. I remember when we went into Simon's pretty much every time over the last 12 months, which is a big clothing like department store in Montreal, you would just be struck by the massive amounts of like pale pea green, I think pea green is the name for it, mm-hmm. and also kind of pale purple, lilac, in the women's section, obviously. Yeah. And it was like, where do these colors come from? It's so interesting about the question of whether it's an organic thing that people want, or it's just kind of fed to them.
1: Yeah, I mean, the people who like the trend predictors, like th- there's a huge economy surrounding trend prediction, and I think it's a very questionable amount of. Are they actually predicting the trends, or are they feeding? They're making them, feeding you. That's I think like, it's so, very much, much kind of
0: social engineering. Yeah, because think about the purple. That was like an album cover right olivia rodrigo Mm
2: -hmm.
0: so it's kind of like where did that come from yeah and you could say that maybe she was just ahead of the times or maybe it was already a thing and she just kind of made it more of a thing Mm -hmm. but it's funny the kind of like meta textual ways in which these colors kind of come about as well because also you could talk about the generation thing and people would say these colors are very 70s Mm.
2: these
0: colors are very 90s and the way that we kind of associate those yeah that's what i mean by kind of forming our own color theory I guess it's not really a solo scene though it's just like a observation i made
1: yeah i used to be very anti like you wear black to a funeral you wear white at a wedding you wear red for christmas i was really against like there being colors for seasons but as i've matured as a a person i guess as an artist you (laughs) could say
0: (laughs) were you gonna say as a dresser
1: I was going to say as an artist, that I don't feel...
0: Yeah, it's a little bit pretentious. It's a little it?
1: pretentious, but as a, as a person... As a podcaster. As a podcaster. As a solo site. Yeah. I have come to realize that those colors just like... It, they kind of are there for a reason. Like, if you went to a Christmas event wearing hot pink, like, I feel like for the most part, it's not a social thing. It's just like, it doesn't really fit the seasons. There's no... Like, the reason that red and green are, beca- are because of the berries and the trees that are still... Yeah. vibrant like it you really have to have a relationship to your surroundings we talked you talked about this last week of like letting your environment inform what you wear
0: yeah that's something i was going to get with the cartoons as well just like tennis the cool thing about cartoons is that the the designer or in this case the illustrator can match the background to the clothes
1: yeah so. but i think it's that there's a nice a niceness to that you could say
0: is individuality Dyeing. Do
1: you want to hear all my things about dyes? Sure. Okay, this is going to be my most podcasty expose ever. So, buckle up, folks. So, dyes have been around basically as long as humans. We've been using berries and natural things to color ourselves, our skin, to color in paintings, and of course, to cover the clothes we wear. Dyes, especially natural dyes, well, I'll get into that, but. Natural dyes fade really quickly so it's hard when you an archaeologist finds a piece of cloth that's 6000 years old to have any pigment left on it. So there's not a ton of proof beyond about 2600 BC of dyes being around but there are old cave paintings that are about 16,000 or more years like BC and they have pigments so you got to assume people were putting them yeah, on themselves. are
2: some
0: cave caveman sweet red
1: yeah there was some caveman sweet red but really until the 1800s dyes were really fleeting because you when you dye something with a natural pigment so say you're using just leaves, you need a mordant which is usually an alkaline or a a chemical or a mineral that you soak in water and then soak the clothing in and then you dye it, and it kind of adheres the color to the clothes. Yeah. Because as you know, when you just use berries and dip the clothes in, one wash and it's pretty much gone, or it just leaves a little residue.
0: Right, my experiment. Mm-hmm. It's on the thumbnail, actually, for this week's YouTube video. Yeah. I tried to dye a white t-shirt with choke cherries, mm-hmm. which was a really fun experience, and I was really proud of it at the start, when it was quite a vivid shade of like purpleish, mm-hmm. reddish-pink but then yeah no mordants and it all went away.
1: Yeah. But I find it okay this is just so cool like how a lot of different plants it's not the it's not the color that dyes the clothes it's the chemicals in the in the the plant matter so it's like if you use stinging nettles which are just green to dye clothes the clothes come out gray. And yeah. if you use indigo plants which are just green Um, but you have to break it down. There's two or three chemical reactions that happen when you break them down and you let them ferment, Mm -hmm. which is really cool, and then it becomes the blue we know.
0: Avocado also.
1: Avocado turns things pink. Like, avocados aren't pink. Why do they turn things pink?
0: It's a very, very activity. (laughs) It is. We should do that at some point. We should. Like a YouTube video about it. Obviously, we live in the middle of a city, so it'll be hard to To go forage some indigo plants. but
1: We'll see what we can do. Yeah. And yeah, I just think it's so, so neat. I love natural dyes and I love the history of them and that there's a quite a big resurgence, I would say, of people natural dyeing. Yeah. And yeah, I think we should maybe do a video or something about that because that'd be really cool. And what I was mind blown about is that there was one known synthetic dye that existed around 2600 BC and that just made my brain explode because whenever you learn about fashion history, they say the first synthetic dye was in the 1860s. So it's a huge gap, but it was discovered in the Egyptian empire and it was called Egyptian blue and it was chemically synthesized blue and it just so vibrant and so gorgeous. And it was like shipped all over the place. But then at the fall of the Roman empire, the craft was lost and after about the 7th century, it just stopped. So there was a big gap there where there was no synthetic dyes. But then in the 18th century, Mr. Scheele was a a chemist who weirdly enough got his fortune off of um, arsenic. He discovered this arsenal green and it was called Scheele's green. And this is the first kind of synthesized dye in modern times. And do you know what arsenic is?
0: Some kind of food, isn't it?
1: Oh, no. I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) Arsenic is a poison. Yeah. And it was actually known to be a poison. It wasn't just like, oh, whoops. And then they found out. Like, they knew that it killed rats and it was a good way to, like, off your husband if you needed to or whatever. But they didn't realize that putting arsenic in clothes... Kids' toys, wallpapers Would have any issue um, But then But it did It did, yeah. yeah So he was putting it in wallpapers Especially at first People would wear it And arsenic is toxic if you inhale it So like it can be vaporized if It, it can be absorbed through the skin And if you ingest it So <laughs> it was just, just the pictures of these dresses Some of them still exist in these like toxic chambers of like museums and stuff like you obviously can't go into the room but it's like if they get damp or whatever and there's like a little bit of precipitation um of the dress like you you were just poisoned. like hundreds of people were dying from this and it was in britain and like the authorities knew like there was it wasn't a question of like oh this is like weird that all these people are dying right there were these two sisters that died and they both like turned green and their eye whites turned green like they They were just green, so it's, like, the most apparent thing, and there's a bunch of, like, comics and stuff being, like, people are sacrificing their lives and their health for to look beautiful and wear these bright colors, because Shields Green, and then a few years later, Paris Green, these are the two, like, most famous ones, they are vibrant, and people up until then really hadn't worn a lot of vibrant clothing and then it just like wasn't outlawed for a very, very long time hmm. because it was so profitable. And it's like you look back at that and you're like, this is kind of absurd. Why wasn't it outlawed? Or why didn't just people from the ground up say, Let's not? Maybe let's not. And eventually some companies, kind of in the manner of like the sustainable fashion movement, started using it as a selling point, putting on their posters like no arsenic in our wallpaper and so on. And I mean it's just years and years and years of these toxic dyes being manufactured. Purple, when that was discovered, can you imagine the rave that that caused? Because up until that Mm. point, do you know how they got purple Dime.
0: Seashells? Yeah, sea snail shells. Murex,
2: I think is the name for it. Yeah,
1: yeah. So up until then, you'd need thousands and thousands and thousands of sea snail shells crushed up to get purple. So that's why it was associated with royalty and so on. And it's the same with like a really bright red like that was a now bug it's You'd funny to...
0: because now the really bright vibrant colors are a dime a dozen mm-hmm. almost literally but if you wanted something more kind of natural muted and maybe an imperfect dye i.e mm-hmm. done by hand or just with as you said like non-synthetic stuff mm-hmm. That's what would cost you a lot more. What I was saying about the white t-shirts and the undyed t-shirts, kind of. It's true. Anyway, the arsenic story was very beautiful, sustainable, and tactile.
1: But anyway, the arsenic, and then obviously at a certain point, these started to be banned, and a lot of the chemicals that I was trying to get out with the purple and the pinks, as those were discovered, they just caused absolute raves. Like people were just obsessed with color, and but it was killing them, and like poisoning them, and people would like wear socks that had, like, pink dye in them and then just, like, lose mobility in their feet and stuff. And it was quite tragic. And now in most European, North American countries, all of these types of dyes are banned, as you can imagine. But you would think, given how deadly they are, they would be banned everywhere. They're not. And so in China and in other countries that produce a lot of clothes, Bangladesh, and that's kind of why these North American companies... Export their production to these places with lower regulations They still use them And not necessarily the arsenic dyes But a Canadian research organization decided to test Fast fashion items for levels of lead And PFAs and formaldehyde Just like a bunch of toxins They're like, let's just see what's in these And they found lead in Xi'an clothes They found formaldehyde in Xi'an's kids' clothes Mind you and a bunch of PFAs, which are these, like, forever chemicals that don't break down and they just bioaccumulate and they're, like, super toxic to the environment and to people. Um, phthalates in Zafal clothes, like, there's just, they're just being used. It's, like, these super toxic dyes and you would think they're not allowed. And they're toxic to the people that wear them. So it's, like, there's, I think the lead in the sheen clothes were nine or ten times more than is, like, safe. And so you can imagine, this is one piece of clothing that can poison you, the people who are at the factories, who are exposed to just bucket loads of this dye, like, they're just being poisoned. And I watched a documentary about a river in China that was being polluted. It's just one of hundreds, thousands in the world that are being polluted. And the people are saying, like, I I assumed the water was fine to, like, wash my feet in or to, like rinse out a cup or whatever and then this man was saying he spent 10 days where he was like washed he was like I'll just use the river water or whatever and then he yeah just like lost mobility in his legs because he was like washing his feet in this river that is where the the factories are dumping the dyes and the dyes are pretty much the most toxic part of the the process like there's lots of other human rights atrocities associated with fast fashion manufacturing but dyes are just the worst and they they don't break down like 90 percent of the dyes that we use are synthetic and it's not like if you dumped a bunch of natural dye into a river which could still harm it and cause it to die because it would feed algae growth and then the ecosystem would die but like these just stay in the river and because they're so dark water can't get down everything dies it just becomes toxic I don't I don't know. Maybe I won't even get into denim today, but do you have any yeah, questions? It's like,
0: no, it's not like denim. <laughs> yeah. I like talking about the pig who wore the brown overalls and flew the plane Yeah. The plane.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I feel like this was important to talk about because it haunts me.
0: Right. <laughs> Can we leave the listener on something kind of positive though? The Solo scene colours, right? Yeah. We've got the solo scene pink, solo scene beige, solo scene dark green. hmm What were the thinking behind those?
1: Well, the beige represents the paper that we use and that we want.
0: Kind of an off white.
1: Yeah, and we just say, like, we like things being tactile, so it's kind of the the green.
0: Inspired by Chobani. Chobani Yeah, it is.
1: The green is for nature, and the dark pink purple is for the digital side of things. We think it's a beautiful color, but it's, to me, it's kind of, I mean, originally, I feel like. It was to say this kind of contrast between the natural and the digital world that our podcast tries to bridge.
0: For me, it represents wine, Oh. which I like to drink.
1: Do you? No, I
2: don't. <laughs> okay, thanks everybody for listening. Bye the zine.